As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's Straight Out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Coming up, we hear from Maurizio Pochettino. There's transfer tales as Hall heads away and Poch considers going with the flow. We'll look ahead to Luton, round up the rest of the Chelsea news and do a quiz. Available for free wherever you get your podcast, ad-free on The Athletic and without an ever-growing injury list. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Yes, Chelsea may be weak at the knees. Get well soon, Carney. But we're picking from a fully fit squad today. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined by two of the Athletics' finest. Liam Toomey's back with us. Hi, Liam. Hello, I'm good. Fresh off a week in Belgium, which I can guarantee you was not pure profit in the accounts. <laughs> but there you were, just holding up the phone for Eden Hazard, saying, dial Romeo Lavia. Come on, come on, get it done. Get it done. We thank you for your work. Um, Dominic Fifield's also back with us. How are you doing, Dom? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Matt? I'm all right, yeah. Looking forward to the transfer window closing, if I'm perfectly honest, because then we won't have to start every podcast talking about the same old rumours, but it's still open, so we're going to do that. A transfer update comes next. Right, there's only a bit more than a week to go of this transfer window list. Now, then we'll have to come up with some additional content for this podcast, but for now, it's given us plenty to talk about. Uh, Lewis Hall to Newcastle confirmed. Our own Luke Bosher has written this one up for the Athletic if you want to go and check that out. Uh, Scuba Steve has tweeted at SO Cobham Pod to say, on a scale of one to KDB, where do you rate the Lewis Hall transfer? And why is the answer KDB times one million? Um, Liam, we've mentioned this a few times on the pod, but this one's really divided Chelsea fans, right? The, the pragmatists are saying, well, they've already got plenty of options at left back and in central midfield. Um, those more romantics are saying, can't we just keep all the academy players and, and maybe then we won't need to spend so much money on others? Well, they've only got so many options in central midfield because they've bought all of the midfielders in, <laughs> in the last few weeks, during which time Lewis Hall was just sitting there, not getting minutes in pre-season. And at left back, the pathway is blocked primarily because Mark Kukurea is still there and still looking very unconvincing as an alternative to to Ben Chilwell. And, and Ian Matson's minutes in attacking midfield seem to have dried up, which maybe we'll talk about at another point. So there just wasn't a pathway for Hall in either position in the squad. And it was really clear to see in the US 
but he just didn't have a role in what Pochettino was building. And that that's, I can see why that would be quite depressing for a lot of Chelsea fans because Hall was maybe the only bright spot of last season. The way he came in and performed against Manchester City, against Liverpool, against Newcastle, he showed a real composure for someone who was so lacking in experience at senior professional level and playing out of position. So I think the fact that he he wants to be a midfielder is part of this. I think the fact that there's a connection there family-wise with Newcastle is part of this as well. But from Chelsea's point of view, I think ultimately this is a financial decision. I know a lot's been made of the loan with an obligation to buy next summer that it would help Newcastle with FFP. I think it helps Chelsea with FFP as well because I think Todd Bowley and Clear Lake Capital are already projecting forward of how they service next year's amortisation cost of the spending that they've already done and selling Hall goes some way towards doing that and they've locked in a price effectively, 28 million potentially rising to 35, which they might not have got next season, certainly not if Hall was just sat on the bench at Chelsea for a whole year and if you loan him out you're at the whims of whether he does well or not or stays fit so I think they've decided to to cash in now I can see why a lot of Chelsea fans would be very frustrated he's got a lot of upside as a player regardless of what position he ends up in it's one of those that we'll only know in the fullness of time how much if at all they'll regret it uh, Dom, you're uniquely positioned to give us a take on this, given that Lewis Hall was going to go to Crystal Palace. Was he Was he going to go to Crystal Palace as backup to Tyrick Mitchell or first choice? We'll never know. But but what do you make of, of Chelsea's decision to give him a six-year contract one week and then sell him the next? I think he was going to go to Crystal Palace as a midfielder. I think he was going to, and, and Liam do not laugh, I think he would probably have been in there and played ahead of Jeffrey Schlupp. Scandalous. The, uh, left of a of a three, whether that be in central midfield or behind a striker, I'm gutted that he hasn't gone there. I'm I'm more gutted that that he's left Chelsea for for all the reasons that that Liam has really detailed. I think this is a a real legacy of the overspend on on Kukurea last summer, which hasn't worked. I mean, Kukurea is going to have to do something remarkable now to revive his Chelsea career, and. The fact that he's still on the books has effectively forced Hall out of the club. I mean, look, Hall might have seen his future as a as a midfielder. Yes, absolutely. I, I completely get that. And 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 I think he would have still added something different in those midfield roles, you know, if there if there had been opportunities there. The energy that like Conor Gallagher delivers as well. I mean, you know, it's it's he would have been a useful backup in two or three positions in this Chelsea squad in the same way as he would have been at, at Palace and how, now he will be at Newcastle. I suppose it's it's inevitably what happens when when the amount of money that's been spent by Chelsea, the ramifications of that, there will be ramifications and knock-on effects for a lot of the youth team graduates and a lot of uh, the, the players upon whom people have pinned hope uh, for future Chelsea careers uh, they, they will find their opportunities very limited and possibly limited by players who are underwhelming but are earning a lot of money and they can't be shifted off the books necessarily so a legacy of last summer 
spending a lot of money, uh, if the evening standard are correct, they might be spending some more, Liam. Following Balogun, uh, they report that he's up for leaving Arsenal for Chelsea, but might cost £50 million, which feels like quite a lot to me. What do you think? Any legs to this? 21 goals in 37 games for him at Rams last season. Well, he fits the profile of the type of player that Chelsea have been pursuing over the last two windows. Under the age of 23, has flashed elite potential in the French league specifically, which is a league that Chelsea have been paying quite close attention to in recent times. And they do need some sort of forward. Although when this subject was raised with Mauricio Pochettino, he was very, very keen to point out that Armando Breuer is still a thing that exists <laughs> and Chelsea are waiting for him to come back and be an option again as an alternative to Nicholas Jackson. So I'm still not sure that Chelsea need another number nine because they have Jackson and Breuer. I think the difficulty is that they've lost Nkunku to injury and Nkunku was really a Swiss army knife in terms of his skill set in that he could play nine, he could play 10, he could play wide left, he could play all manner of hybrid roles in between and knit everything together. And it's very difficult to find another player on the market who can give you all of those things. And that's why I wrote that Nkunku's injury was such a blow right at the end of pre-season because it fundamentally changed the nature of Chelsea's attack. As far as Balogun goes, it doesn't look like he has a clear future at Arsenal because even with Gabriel Jesus out, they've got Eddie Nketiah, they've got a certain Kai Havertz that they might play as a false nine every now and then. It certainly looks like he is motivated to go somewhere else and play perhaps permanently capitalising on on the rise in his stock from last season. But the price Arsenal are asking for may well put him out of his market. So it, it, it sounds like one that if Chelsea were going to pay £50 million for following Balogun, they would once again be paying a price that no one else is prepared to come near. He's got one Premier League start under his belt. One Premier League start. £50 million. That's one more than Enzo Fernandez had when Chelsea played <laughs> double. He was a World Cup winner. <laughs> <laughs> this fella's got twenty goals for. Him. He's a he's a player of talent. He's a US international. It'd be brilliant news for the the Athletic if he if he rocks up at Chelsea and, and Liam would get lots and lots of interest in his articles from across the pond. Can I just and and I know this is not I'm not meant to say this and there will be a load of Chelsea fans out there that are going, oh, the, the squad's in balance, we need to spend more money. This madness has got to stop. It's got to stop. It's almost a billion pounds in three transfer windows. It's insane. Um, I, this is going to come across as a bit of fan, although I have noticed actually on social media in the last few days, there have been Chelsea fans now saying, hold on a second, what is the point of just spending and spending and spending and bringing in more players, more attacking players to replace injured attacking players? We're going to be back in three months and then we're going to have to shift the players that we just bought. And it just doesn't, it's it's insane. It's madness. We've got to stop now. Unless they start bringing in some more proper money, there, unless they can shift Lukaku, I'm sure we'll come on to in a minute, off their books. Callum Hudson-Odoi off their books. And are left with a and, and move others out as well to make sure that this squad is a sensible size and not hemorrhaging money everywhere. I don't see the logic in where all this is going, other than Chelsea having another bloated squad and us going down a very similar path to last season. 
Sorry, I'm not meant to say that, am I? Because Chelsea fans love, any football fans love the idea of players joining their club. And the transfer market has its own little audience that everybody is obsessed with, or a lot of people are obsessed with. But as a neutral observer watching Chelsea this summer, it has been ludicrous. Are you saying Chelsea need another transfer ban for intervention purposes? It might do some good. (laughs) I mean, it's obviously not. I mean, look, there I am. I'm a complete hypocrite because I'm going to commission pieces from you, Liam, about how this was an incredible transfer window or or how this was the the intrigue of it all. And I, I understand the drama, but the logic I don't get. Well, like I said, I do think signing another number nine would be a bit excessive when... For the moment, Nicholas Jackson is fit and looks very good. Armando Breuer supposedly is not going to be out for too much longer, even if he's going to need some ramp-up time. And you're looking at having Nkunku back by the end of the year, you would have thought, at the latest. And there aren't that many games to go around, as we've mentioned many times. So it, it does seem a bit silly. And if, and if I were following Balogun's agent and the people around him, Chelsea would probably not be top of my list for those reasons, just because I do think, I, I, well, I had the dubious pleasure of watching the West Ham game when I returned from my holiday, knowing the result. I thought Jackson looked really good again with very limited services. His link-up play is excellent. He looks like he could be the long-term number nine that Chelsea have been looking for. I know he still needs to find a bit of a scoring touch and we'll talk about that, but there's a lot of other things to his game and I would be very wary as Chelsea of bringing in an, yet another number nine to compete with him and maybe take his minutes. And as someone like Balogun, I'd be wary of going to Chelsea because I think Jackson looks good and, and the club still rate Breuer. Uh, there you go, Louis. Tweeted in asking, is there a need for Chelsea to be signing even more attacking players to cover injuries? All the good work uh, done of moving players could be undone by the time we get to Christmas and Nkunku, etc. are back, especially with Max 50 games this season. The lads answered that without me having to ask it. Uh, let's do a couple of outgoings before we move on from transfers. Uh, just to say that apparently, according to Fabrizio Romano, Chelsea are not going to bid for Brennan Johnson. We'll see about that. Uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Liam, reports his move to Fulham have fallen through. Uh, Is that true? And if so, what next? He's he's running out of options, isn't he? He's in a difficult position because he's not part of the first team squad. He's not part of Pochettino's plans. It would take a pretty remarkable turnaround at this point for that situation to change. He only has a year left on what the new owners would call an Abramovich contract, i.e. being paid way above his market. And... Yeah, I I just don't see where the prospect would be of him continuing his Chelsea career. So every every move that stalls is a bigger problem for him. It backs him further into a corner. I still think he leaves Chelsea before the end of the window. Are they likely to do it in a Kepa style now, though, and just say, well, you can go on loan somewhere with no obligation and then at least we've got your wages off the book for the last year? I'm not sure because it's a different situation in that any fee they get for him would be profit because he's an academy player. So I think they will want some sort of a fee, and that seemed to be the issue with Fulham. I do struggle to understand, even with the injury, even with how underwhelming that Leverkusen loan was, I do struggle to understand why Chelsea can't get any sort of fee for Hudson-Odoi, given his age. He does have a lot of potential for growth, even if the, the story up to now has been quite a depressing one. 
he will have to take a haircut on his wages, which I imagine he's prepared to do at this point, given the situation he's in. I'm not sure why a sort of bottom half Premier League club wouldn't just throw like eight to 10 million Chelsea's direction just to take him. And and I think Chelsea would probably quite happily take that given the scenario. Uh, Romelu Lukaku might not command as much as eight to 10 million pounds. Dom is another player who seems to be running out of options. He had the Saudi link, didn't he? But maybe the the move for Neymar has put the kibosh on that. Are you going to take him at Crystal Palace? Is that how this is going to shake down? There were some stories of West Ham showing an interest too. West Ham seems to be spending their money in other areas at the moment. But my colleague Matt Wiesman wrote a, a piece on the strikers that Palace might look at this in what remains of the window and cheekily put Lukaku in there just because he is a player that's available. But unfortunately, he's on 340 grand a week. So, I mean, I can't imagine. Were they so impressed by those seven touches he had at Selhurst Park a couple of years <laughs> yeah. ago? There have been Palace strikers who've had fewer, believe me, and, and in matches even at Sellers Park. But he, yeah, he's an infu- it's infuriating, isn't it, with with Lukaku because there clearly is a player there, but coaxing it out of him is is another thing. I mean, he has thrived at clubs of that are similar size to those sort of mid table. I'm thinking West Brom. I mean, even Everton at the time, and it's big club, but it was it, it was in a certain part of the table. It was a mid mid table club at the time, I guess. So I suppose that he might look at it as an opportunity to be a, a big fish in a smaller pond, but that wage is a problem. And I imagine that if he went somewhere in England or even possibly across Europe, he would have to have that wage subsidised heavily by Chelsea in the future um, to make it up to what it is, close to what it is at the moment. I see there are some reports today saying that Pochettino might have a conversation with him to see whether he can reintegrate him back into the squad, but that would be a fairly major U-turn. I do think it's remarkable that there's a £97 million striker just sitting on in Chelsea's reserves or, or, or training across at the academy. It's just, yeah, again, a legacy of a previous errors in the market, really. All right, well, Don mentions Maurizio Pochettino there. Uh, Alan Shearer has been busting a gut to try and get on this podcast for years. He's finally managed to work (laughs) his way on, uh, but only on the basis that he was interviewing Maurizio Pochettino for The Athletic. You can read the full thing up on the site from Friday, but we can play you a clip of it now. It's Pochettino talking about Chelsea's moves in the transfer market, how he's finding the job in general, and plenty more beside. Let's hear from the Chelsea head coach. All the pressure in football is, is about to win, more in Chelsea. But in the way that we are operating, the club is operating now, is is about to, to change the idea of maybe that was building here no, in the past. Uh, now it's about young players, it's about to to give uh, and to bring talent player, your young talented player, and to try to uh, develop this talented player in Create the big, the big uh, future players, no, and, and they're going to be on the top of uh, the list on any, you know, list, and that is exciting. That is the project. The project, different phases on the project is now is to settle everything and then to evolve and develop, you know, the the, the idea in to help the, the players to to improve and to and to perform and of course to win titles. That is the objective. Uh, on the end, because if Chelsea on the end no win titles, for sure we are going to talk about that the project failed, no? Because on the end, 
is the the project with the timings that we need to you know, to achieve and to earn all the you know the timing that we have um, and we need to be clever in the way that we are going to we need time of course we need time but i think in the way that we start uh, to work in this in this project i think can be very successful in the future in terms of uh, yes yeah, success that's what you're here for eventually you, you, as you said you have to win win those titles that has to come, doesn't it? That's the next step. I mean, whether it comes this season or next season, that's that's the ultimate. That's what you have to get to. That's what you're here for, ultimately. No, of course. I think our mentality is, is to translate our mentality is about to win. It's not excuse, of course. Uh, young players that arrive, maybe no experience in Premier League, many of them, and then to be all together and to help the club to to develop this project is is a big challenge. But we we know that we need to win because. I mean, you had the success at PSG. You you nearly yes. got there at uh, at Tottenham. How much does that drive you on to go and wanting to do it again to bring trophies and success here? Yes, we won in, in Paris Saint Germain, but on the end was it's only was one interesting no trophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that yeah. was the Champions League. Right, yeah, and it's not easy to to win the Champions League. Tottenham was different because no one expected nothing. And then after two years, three years, we create a project in a different way yeah. that we were close to win. Yeah. But now um, I think it's a little bit the situation tricky because we spend big money. Yeah. Maybe not net because we already sell the club for big money. Yeah. It's not maybe we didn't spend net spend yeah. no more than maybe Manchester United or Manchester City or, or Liverpool. Or, or Tottenham, but you know, in the way that the the news or the, yeah, it's, it's the highlight yeah. is like the the perception is yeah. like oh Chelsea is paying big money yeah but we sell yeah also for big yeah you know and that people need to understand and the media need to translate this idea also because it's not if not it's not fair no because uh, Haver was moving to to. Arsenal, Arsenal or Mason Mount to, yeah. to Manchester United, to only two examples. No? But um, yes, it's I seen in the way that the perception is now is we need to be careful and, and the people need to think, okay, maybe it's not fair in the way that we are going to talk or say the things. But we know very well that we need to be you know, strong in, in our idea. And for sure, we are going to work you know, 24 hours every day to try to get and to be co competitive like a team and, and perform as soon as possible because yeah, football, the competition doesn't wait for no one and, and even if, you know, like uh, we were working with Kepa for four weeks. Yeah. We started the preseason with Kepa, but on then Kepa moved to Real Madrid in the last week arrived Robert, Robert Sanchez and need to settle and need to perform. Yeah. And people can say or can see that it's not enough one week for for the keeper and then to compete is is different way but I is, I am not complaining we are not complaining it's only to to explain the truth and the people perceive what is going on here that even if we want to win and we are going to sell all the principle and the the belief and the we are going to push the player it's about time to settle everything for Chelsea and the team to, to start to perform, you know. We've mentioned one of the best in Mbappe and, and Harry Kane without putting too much pressure on any pressure on uh, Nicholas. How good is Nicholas Jackson? No, he's, re he's really good. He's really good. He's still young, yeah. but he's really good. 
I think he's he's doing really well. Didn't score, but he's going to score because half the quality. But uh, his work ethic and on the pitch, how he press, how he run, is so fast. The quality when he drives the ball, his speed and the thing that can do with with when he's in a high, you know, intensity when he's running really fast, is unbelievable. His technique, I think, it's it's about to time. It's about to time for him, for the play, for the teammate know him. And I think he's going to be fantastic for for Chelsea. He's, he's young, but I think have the character and the capacity to to improve quick. Was it an impossible ask to consider Harry here at Chelsea? It was never going to happen. Harry Kane. Uh, do I don't know do in the future. Right. I don't know in the future. Okay. But in the past, no. Right. <laughs> in the past, no. <laughs> in the future, in football, you know, you never know uh, what is going to happen in football. Mauricio Pochettino with Alan Shearer there. All right, next today, we'll preview Friday night's fixture. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So Chelsea host Luton time for the first time ever in a Premier League fixture on Friday. The Blues looking to register their first W of the new season against the side who came up via the playoffs last season. Carney Chukwemeka won't be involved. He's out for six weeks after injuring his knee against West Ham. He joins Nkunku, Fafana, James Chalaba, Badia Shield and Breuer on the sidelines. So those latter two stepping up their recovery. Uh, Liam, I, I guess we're, we're kind of looking for a first half performance against West Ham that, that last 90 minutes here. Is this a must-win game for you? Three matches into the season? Yeah, I think so. In terms of what the mood in the stadium will be like. I don't think they will turn on Pochettino or anything immediately, but I, I do think this is a game that everyone associated with Chelsea will be expecting to win. And if they don't win... Then I think the the early season talk of crisis that I think would have been excessive after they lost the game against West Ham that they always lose uh, at West Ham Stadium. Uh, I think it would be a little bit more merited because I, I didn't see a lot in the West Ham performance, to be honest, to, that was really worrying. I mean, they gave away a bad set piece goal. They made one mistake really, for the Antonio goal that I would probably put more on Dizassi than Colwell. But West Ham scored their only two chances of the game, really, while the game was live. Missed a penalty as well, too, which would have really, I mean, if they'd gone 2-1 up at that stage, they would have walked it. Exactly. And I, I thought there were a lot more positive shoots in Chelsea's performance. I, I mentioned Jackson. Raheem Sterling was absolutely rampant. I can't believe how good he looks compared to watching him in the US. He's He's been sensational, I think. And if he carries on in this form, 
I think Chelsea will turn around in in attack despite the players they're missing. Luton seems to be a tailor-made fixture for Chelsea to get a bit of a mojo going. You know, Caicedo and Lavia will have had a, a full week training with the team. There's just another week for the assimilation to to carry on in terms of the way Pochettino wants to play. There's no excuses. They have to win this game and, and really win it convincingly. And I think based on the way they've played, they're on track to do that. Uh, Nate tweeted in wanting to know more about Luton. Well, I can tell you they were relegated to the National League in 2009 after a 30-point deduction for various financial irregularities. They won the conference title in 13-14 and then won successive promotions from League Two to the Championship in 2019. Uh, Last season, 15 of their 21 wins in the league were achieved with under 50% possession and eight of them with less than 40 uh, so don't expect them to have much of the ball um, Dom is it a benefit to Luton or to Chelsea that Luton didn't play last week Look, I really don't think it matters at this stage uh, Luton are expecting this to be a really torrid season They're, they've not come up and and changed their squad radically really I mean they have they've added to it to try and bridge that chasm between championship and unlikely championship promotion um, contenders um, or achievers and the Premier League, but they've not, I mean, the biggest fee they've spent is about £4 million, which is, you know, eye-watering for for Luton, but small change for a lot of Premier League clubs. They're expecting this to be really difficult. It would have maybe helped them slightly had they had a home game against I think it was Burnley wasn't it last Mm. weekend and and if they've got some points under their belt early on in the season then yeah that is reassuring for for those involved but whenever in the season Luton Town were visiting Stamford Bridge it was going to be it was going to be a hell of a daunting fixture for for Luton so I don't think it really makes a difference it's not they've not added radically to their squad since the opening game. I think it's only Tim Krul who's come in since then and he's a reserve goalkeeper effectively. Um, so it's not as if Chelsea are confronting a, a radically different team to the one that lost 4-1 at, at Brighton on the opening weekend. So I don't think it really makes a, a massive difference. It's not as if they'll be particularly refreshed. It will be interesting to see you know, what, what role, say, Ross Barkley has in this Luton team, whether he's, whether he's involved at all at this point, whether he's you know, had a chance now obviously to, to train with new teammates, whether he's fit and up to speed after what would have been a delayed pre-season. To see him back at Stamford Bridge would be quite interesting. But I think everybody associated with Luton knows this is going to be really, really difficult and um, there are going to be some pretty, yeah, tough afternoons and evenings to endure over the, the course of this season. And I, I suspect that Friday will be one of them. Yeah, they seem to have brought a lot of championship ready players and the in the expectation that they might well go down but the likes of Chidozi Ogbeni and Tahit Chong will be ready to help try and get them back up again if that does happen. Uh, let's go back to Chelsea. Liam, here's a tweet from Ryan who asks, with how young slash inexperienced the squad is, should Poch just stick to the 4-2-3-1? Now he played down formation talk, but seemed to be the best bit of pre-season. Even if the guys are slightly out of position, they'd know what's expected of every spot on the field and on a similar theme Steph says should Poch persevere with three at the back I guess if you if you're going to experiment particularly defensively this might be the game to do it because you're not expecting the opposition to have much of the ball or many chances I'm gonna go all formation is a state of mind again but when I watched that West Ham game Chelsea were in a 4-2-3-1 for most of the game Colwell was just left back 
and Chilwell was on the left wing. So it was a 4-2-3-1, the way Pochettino set up. It was just the personnel were in slightly funny slots. I'm not sure the formation is a massive issue because I think it will shift depending on the game state. The one concern I maybe have with that system, the way Pochettino is currently playing, is it means Colwell is often isolated against fast wingers, which I, I think he did very well against Mo Salah after Liverpool's opening goal and actually arguably came out the better of that battle. But it's a tough ask to challenge him to to face up 1v1 against some of the best wingers in the league week after week. So Dom's got a look on his face like, I don't know what Liam's talking about formation-wise. They've been playing three at the back. No, no, no. I, no you, you, I completely get it. And I mean, you had to explain this to me yesterday and, and I'm glad you did. And 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 yeah, you're right. We, we probably place too much stock on the sort of starting formations and we see the the three centre-halves there and think, oh, this is a completely radical change from, from what we expected in pre-season. But as you say, within the game itself, it adapts into that 4-2-3-1 pretty quickly. I find it slightly odd that Cole will who is a centre half as far I mean, he is that is his natural position is being asked effectively to play as a left back but then i understand the logic to a certain extent um particularly if you're going to dominate the ball and I, they will dominate the ball against luton i mean even as matt's suggested there in last season's successes luton didn't have the majority of the possession in those games so chelsea will completely monopolize the ball on, on friday night so i completely get it but i just I suppose your sort of natural instincts are when things aren't going quite right, or whether you're, where you're adapting to a, a new manager or or a lot of new players coming in, you, you sort of feel as if there's a logic in playing, you know, or putting round pegs in round holes and square pegs in square holes, and, and allowing people to actually play in the positions where they they're most comfortable. Now, maybe Levi Cowell is happy to do that and and drift out to that left and 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 fine if, if that's the case but I think that's that's why that's certainly why I had the critical look on my face but that's what I think why people are looking at these formations thinking well this is not quite normal. Uh, people feeling quizzical Liam about Romeo Lavia. Um, Lucy tells me there's been lots of tweets on Chelsea Twitter about the fact there's been no evidence of Lavia training. Are you expecting to see Ian Caicedo in this game? Caicedo maybe from the start and, and Lavia with a cameo is that is that the most likely thing? I'd expect Caicedo to start at this point after a full week of training. Might be wrong, but I, I, I think he, he he probably will. It's a good. I think it's probably a good game to start him. Again, might be proven spectacularly wrong on that, but don't have a good handle handle yet on how ready Lavia is. I'm going to Mauricio Pochettino's press conference at Cobham pretty much as, as soon as we stop recording. Uh, so hopefully by the time this podcast is up, we will have a better idea of where both players are. But I I would expect Caicedo to be involved sooner rather than later. And provided there isn't an injury that we haven't heard about with Lavia, I'd imagine he'll be eased in over the next couple of weeks uh, into the squads at least. Liam, can I ask then, if, if <laughs> going back to the formation chat slightly, <laughs> if it is a, you know, a, a, effectively a 4-2-3-1 in game, and you have Caicedo, Lavia and Enzo involved. Does that mean that Enzo is going to be playing effectively as a 10? If you start with Caicedo and Lavia, that seems to be the way that they're they're leaning. I mean, 
Fernandez is getting a lot of room to push forward, even in the current alignment. And it's giving Conor Gallagher a fair bit to do behind him. So I think they, they probably do need to get Caicedo in there at some point. Where Chelsea do have a problem now in the squad, not necessarily in the team, depending on where you use Fernandez, is that number 10 position because Chukwameka was the most natural candidate for that role. And he started the season like he was aware of what an opportunity this was for him. And that that's why I'm not, not plugged in every day to other clubs, so I don't have as much of a handle on it. But it, it feels like this happens a disproportionate amount with Chelsea, where young players have a, a great window of opportunity and then get an injury mm-hmm. at the worst possible time. So just circling back to transfers for like 10 seconds, if there was one position that maybe Chelsea needs someone it's as an attacking midfielder, I think, rather than as a number nine, just to have another option there. But if they want to play Fernandez as a 10 long-term with Caicedo and Lavia behind him, uh, if that's the vision, then maybe you don't. But at the moment, I think Chelsea's current midfield profile maybe suits uh, a 4-3-3 or because they've got a lot of number eights and no real tens, no natural tens. And... Caicedo is is a natural six. So but that would be a bit of a departure from this sort of four, two, three, one, three box three beauties in the eye of the beholder system that Pochettino's been pursuing so far. All right. Well I was gonna say we'll find out at seven o'clock on Friday when the team sheet drops. That's not really been the way so far with Mauricio Pochettino, has it? It's not been quite Potter-esque, but uh, we'll find out at eight oh one when we can see where the players are. On the pitch, I guess. Uh, We will react to that 3-1 win against Luton and Nicholas Jackson getting his first Chelsea goals in Monday's pod. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news the under 21s also in action on Friday night they go to Norwich in PL2 they begin their Football League trophy campaign next week when they'll play MK Dons also in Chelsea's group in that competition are Northampton Town and Oxford United remember the academy sides always play away from home in the group stages of that competition Uh, the under 18s go to Aston Villa on Saturday the women's team play their first friendly of pre-season next weekend that's Sunday the 3rd of September when they'll take on Roma they'll do so without rushing defender Alsu Abdelina. She's joined Paris FC on loan for the season. All right, next, it's quiz time. Okay, it's three questions each this week. 
chaps. Uh, sort of the theme is is Luton versus Chelsea. In fact, it is. I'm going to go that far. Liam, you're up first. Who scored their only Chelsea goal when Chelsea and Luton last met? It was at Kenilworth Road in the FA Cup. Believe it or not, this was in March of last year. It feels about 20 <laughs> lifetimes ago. Who scored their last Chelsea goal? Their only Chelsea goal. Oh, their only Chelsea goal. You've once again flashed to a game that I have absolutely zero memory of. <laughs> I can't even remember if I was there or if it was one that Simon did. I think Simon was there just Simon. after sanctions, right? Yeah. Wasn't it? Norwich was the first sanctions. I think this might have been the second one. Didn't he watch it from the press box because he was busy writing stuff about sanctions? And uh, yeah, he still whinges about that. That is not a helpful clue for you, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> Only Chelsea goal. Oh, they've had so many footballers in that time as well. <laughs> I have um, to hurry you. I'm not even sure of a good guess. <laughs> actually, I actually know the answer to this, Liam. Uh, to make me feel even more under pressure. Uh, if I was in my car, I'd be shouting this at the radio. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the way this goes. Um, Come on. No, I genuinely don't know. Pass. Go on then, Dom. Put him out of his misery. I, I, I hope this is right. Was it Saul? It was. Yeah. Oh, better right. not call Saul was the answer. Uh, all right, Completely Dom. forgot he was a thing. It doesn't that feel like much longer than March of last really year? Really does. It's that unbelievable. That was, that. A, that was about five Chelsea midfields ago. Oh, <laughs> it's amazing that, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. Uh, speaking of former Chelsea midfielders, Dom, here's your first question. Ross Barkley could make his Luton debut at Stamford Bridge on Friday. Against whom did Barkley score a stoppage time equaliser at the bridge in a 2-2 draw in 2018? The goal and subsequent celebration sparked a memorable touchline bust-up which left the opposition manager with a severely bruised ego. Uh, sorry, when was the, when was the year? It was in 2018, a 2-2 draw. He scored a stoppage time equaliser and then it all kicked off, which was the team that Chelsea were playing. 2018, he'd clearly come on for Mateo Kovacic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 64th minute, yeah, classic. 2018, um, so who even was the manager then? 2-2 draw. Somebody sprinted out seemingly from nowhere along the touchline and very much aggravated the opposition. Who were that opposition? United? I'm going to need the full name. Manchester United. Manchester United is correct. Yeah, do you remember it was Sarri's like, henchman slash assistant who nobody really <laughs> knew what he did and Jose Mourinho got very upset about it? It had to be Mourinho, didn't it? I mean, that's yes. the only, yeah, yeah. No one else in world football would have taken Cared. any kind of offence. <laughs> uh, Jose Mourinho did. All right, so you're 2-0 up. This is big pressure on you then, Liam. Luckily, you've got a tap in now. Which Chelsea Academy graduate was part of the Luton side that won the Football League trophy in 2009? Dom knows this one as well. No, I don't. Do I? I've got a clue. <laughs> Chelsea Academy graduate. Yeah. 2009 Football yeah. League Trophy. There's a reason that I've put this in that I think make 
No, oh, I know. Right. I know the answer. Yeah. Sam Parkin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Lucy's fuming, but I could see you were struggling there, Liam, and you're staring down the barrel of a defeat. So sorry, Lucy. <laughs> I was I was massively <laughs> overthinking, which is a, magnificent. a pattern in these quizzes. This is as angry as Lucy's ever been at me. So I'm really sorry. I just wanted Liam to not get whitewashed um dom here's your here's your second question who replaced the injured craig burley in the chelsea lineup 42 minutes into the 1994 fa cup semi-final win against luton at wembley start again who replaced the injured craig burley in the chelsea lineup 42 minutes into the 1994 fa cup semi-final win against luton at wembley in 1994 Darren Barnard? Of course it was Darren Barnard. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was PB post-Barnard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the man's influence spread much <laughs> further and much wider than we thought during his time at Chelsea. I'm in no Darren way Barnard's sure. basically the equivalent of our Mornington Crescent, isn't it? Yeah, on that, yeah. The, the radio floor so. <laughs> right it's three all one. those radio four crossover listeners <laughs> there's a few there's a couple tweeters at so cobham pod if you listen to this podcast and any radio four <laughs> um it's three one to dom so liam you need to get this and then get doms to force a tie break which lucy hasn't written yet who scored a hat trick the last time chelsea hosted luton it was an fa cup tie in january 2021 but that's really recent Mm. But again, several Chelsea lifetimes ago. January 2021. Oh, so that was that was Lampard's last game. I think. Yeah, it would have been, wouldn't it? Yeah. I was at that game. Or was Lampard's last game Leicester? No, it was this one, wasn't it? It was this one. No, it was this one. Uh Gonna have to hurry you. If only because Dom's morning meeting starts in one minute time. Huh. Is it Timo Werner? Who was it, Dom? Um, it was Tammy Abraham. It was Tammy Abraham. This has been an incredible performance from Dom, and I'm really glad that you got that because your final question, Dom, what did Chelsea announce the day after beating Luton in that 2021 <laughs> FA Cup tie? <laughs> Liam was banned from all press conferences at Cobham. <laughs> oh, it was around that time, wasn't it, that you got told off? And then, yeah, needless to say, Timmy had the last laugh. Um, the tiebreaker was going to be, what's the capacity of Kenilworth Road? Would anybody care to guess? Has it gone up a bit? This season, I'm, I'm guessing it's around eleven and a half. Liam, are we including the row of two, three bed houses? <laughs> how many they they accommodate? Um, I'm going to say twelve thousand. According to Lucy, it is ten thousand three hundred and fifty-six. Wow, amazing! Which is a little less than Bournemouth, believe it or not. Uh, right, well done, Dom. You won. Thank and you. Therefore. Your prize is that you get to plug something that's on The Athletic now first. I will plug Simon and Andy Naylor's and David Ornstein's piece on how the Caicedo and Lavia deals were, were done, which went out yesterday morning and is well worth a read. But obviously, uh, there's a lovely piece from Molly Kay this morning on justifying, well, looking at the sort of youthful nature of Chelsea's squad and how 
how we're going to all need a bit of patience in terms of them all bedding in and making a proper impact. And in anticipation of our Maurizio Pochettino interview going out tomorrow with Alan Shearer, which I'm sure will be a great read. Absolutely. Liam, what have you got in the pipeline, please? I need to make myself unavailable for future Thursday pods until I go back <laughs> and rewatch every Chelsea game that I've attended. Just um, write that clearly. Darren Barnard autobiography and you'll be set for life. <laughs> Not going to help me with Tammy Abraham hat tricks. <laughs> Not really working on too much at the moment other than going to Pochettino's press conference and covering the Luton game on Friday, which I will try to remember what happens for posterity. You never know when it might come up again. I was going to say write everything down, but that's literally your job, isn't it? Um, athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up. If you aren't currently a subscriber and you'd like to sign up for just £1.99 a month for 12 months, it's well worth doing. At SO Cobham Pod is the place to follow us on Twitter. And if you'd like to leave us a five-star review and some nice words on your podcast platform of choice, that would be greatly appreciated too. Thanks then to Dom. To Lucy, to Liam, to Mopo, to Alan Shearer, to everybody who's been involved in today's pub. We'll catch up with you again Monday. Bye for now. The Athletic.